guess somebody needs to preach on the conference text, so I'll do that. Just, just for the heck of it, you know. You never know what's going to happen through the week, so Haggai chapter 1. Muriel Gladwin, 94 years old, of a town called Hereford, England, taught herself to drive at the age of 12. She uh, reached 94, decided to relinquish her keys and let others do the driving for her. Over the course of an estimated 600 kilometers driven, or 600,000 kilometers driven, she hadn't gotten one single ticket or had even a minor accident, she said, I still have a completely clean record, so I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. (laughs) So this uh, lady understands that things in life have a lifespan. Things like eyesight, hearing, motor skills, (laughs) which is the accelerator and which is the brake pedal, things like that. They, uh, they tend to expire, and uh, fortunately, and others should heed this example, before the expiration date hit her life, she did something about her situation. There's some wisdom in that, and I want to preach a little bit with that thought in mind, a uh, sermon entitled, Midlife Revival. And I want to uh, use uh, this uh, passage here to begin, Haggai 1, and let's begin at verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this, uh, this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house, that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Now this is a picture of the Temple of God in ruins. Haggai uh, prophesies a contemporary with uh, Zechariah, and they are both dealing with the uh, sad condition of the temple of God, which has been allowed to fall into disrepair, and are beginning to challenge the people, prophesy about the renewal of that temple, the rebuilding uh, of that temple. And so we, uh, we need to consider, uh, first of all, the problem of uh, the decline uh, that often hits us in middle age. Now, some of us, many of us, actually, 
are learning this truth in the physical realm. Just like uh, Muriel Gladwin. Uh, the, uh, the old eyes aren't what they used to be. And, and uh, hearing and uh, other things, uh, various parts of the body are either not functioning right or they're too big or whatever. You know, all things, all kinds of things are going wrong, it seems. And, and uh, uh, some of our expiration dates are showing uh, to a large degree. And so, uh, this is a, a simple fact of life, and uh, all of us baby boomers, of course, uh, the mantra was, you know, die before you're 30, live it up and then die, so you never get old, you know, and so who, the who sang that song, hope I die before I get old. Well, we're all old now, too bad, we didn't die, and so uh, we're here, and uh, we had uh, better make the best of it, and uh, uh, so there's parallels to that in the spiritual realm. Churches can hit a plateau period. Churches often, now some of you are pioneering churches, but there's several of us uh, uh, that are not anymore, and you're, you're years down the road, and I don't mean to place any kind of particular age bracket on this. As a matter of fact, this can happen to really anyone, an individual or a church at any time in their Christian walk. You, you had a surge when you get saved, or the church is pioneered, takes off, grows, things go well kind of uh, hits a plateau many times, uh, and there are uh, seasons and uh, uh, an ebb and flow to all of life, uh, uh, but uh, sometimes what happens is we hit a period of decline in our churches, in our personal lives, and uh, it just begins to, to just plateau at that place and then taper off, and if we're not careful, uh, we're going to begin to expire and maybe not even realize uh, What's going on? This is a part of what uh, Jesus was talking about when he spoke about the wineskins. And, of course, that was directed to primarily the Pharisees who represented the whole nation of Israel in a religious sense. And they had certainly reached a period of decline, a long, long history. And we see uh, many, many seasons of the ups and downs uh, over the period of the Old Testament, the day uh, we're definitely in a period of decline when Jesus came on the scene uh, and he begins uh, to speak about the problem uh, of wineskins and uh, all that uh, that represents. Uh, amen. And so uh, the, uh, uh, one of the common consequences of that period of decline is what's talked about in the book of Haggai, and that is the neglect of God's house. Now, I just want to touch briefly on this issue because uh, we, we need to acknowledge this and uh, in, that, in that way deal with it and uh, move on from that place. A couple of important things here that strike me in this first chapter. Neglecting the house of God is uh, typified, first of all, by the wrong Priorities. Verse 4 says, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and the temple to lie in ruins? Verse 9 reemphasizes that my house is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. This is a, an indictment upon these people who have put themselves before 
the things of God. The wrong priorities in life, you begin to shift. And this often happens in the middle years of our Christian experience. We begin to turn inward. We begin to think, you know, I need to take care of some things here. I've just sacrificed and given and uh, maybe even neglected my own house and my own family in certain ways. Uh, and of course, we're not advocating that. Uh, there is a balance needed. But uh, we often, being the human beings that we are, react uh, and overcompensate in the other direction and begin to just neglect the house of God. And, and in any case, nowhere are we uh, told in Scripture that uh, we need to put ourselves first. As a matter of fact, it's exactly the opposite. We always need to put the house of God first. We always need to put ourselves secondary to that. Uh, God's house, God's purposes, God's will comes first. And uh, as Christians, as pastors, as congregations, if we get that out of order, then we are going to have problems. And uh, just look at what uh, the, uh, the prophet says here is happening because of this. You, uh, you look for much, but it came to little. You've sown, but you don't have much. You, you even have certain things, but they don't satisfy you. And uh, so all of these are the evidences of a wrong priorities, of a, an out-of-order approach to living, serving God, doing church. And that needs to be corrected. There is uh, also, in this uh, idea of neglect, a lack of sacrifice. We get our priorities askew, and one of the first things to go is sacrifice. Mark 14, verse 3 says, Being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he, Jesus sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. This is uh, one of the times when uh, someone came with a, this costly ointment and anointed Jesus with it. And we've heard the, uh, the description of this kind of flask, this alabaster, uh, which is a type of, of stone, and uh, this container of this oil, something that uh, would have been planned probably for uh, the individual's own funeral, uh, very uh, costly, very expensive. Some commentators say perhaps a year's wages. So we're talking a, a huge sacrifice here. And the way these things were designed uh, is that they were sealed. And in order to get the oil, they had to break, as the Scripture says there, break the flask, not just to pop the top, not pull the cork out, uh, not to screw the top off, uh, but break, actually break the container and therefore render it unusable. This is a one-time use. And this woman was willing to do that. And so here's the... the picture of the broken vessel. Here is what God is calling you and I to as living sacrifices. And when we lose the reality of the need for sacrifice and we get a little religious, we keep trying to get the anointing. The oil is a picture, of course, of anointing and 
And so you and I want that. We desperately need that. We, we desire that the oil of the Holy Ghost be poured out upon our lives, upon our ministries, and yet we want to somehow leave the vessel unbroken. We want to somehow avoid the reality of what sacrifice really is, this brokenness and this all-for-God commitment, and it just won't work. You can't do it. So we've got to be willing to sacrifice. We've got to be willing to put God's house first once again. Now we could probably talk about several things, but you know, the whole conference has done that. God's dealt with us. Several areas. Great ministry this week. Pinpointed some of these areas, I believe, that you could classify as neglect of the house of God, neglect of some personal disciplines perhaps, which is all tied in with that, of course, and the issues of sacrifice. These have been touched on and expounded upon, and God has showed you what you need to do to reorder your life, your priorities, and He's looking for us to repent because repentance is the key to releasing what God wants to happen next. And that is the promise of revival. If we'll begin to reorder our lives, begin once again to sacrifice in the real sense of the word, amen, God promises that this condition, this a temple that is in ruins will not remain that way, but it will be rebuilt. Uh, and uh, to uh, go back to the uh, title of the sermon, you can have revival in the middle years of your life. It's not over. We get into that place of decline. We get into that, uh, that uh, uh, time period. And uh, after a long extended period of that, maybe even years, you can... Look at your situation and just say, well, I guess, uh, you know, revival's just passed us by here in this church. It's going to have to be for the pioneers. It's going to have to be some other city. It's going to have to be uh, some other guy, uh, whatever it is. Uh, But I don't believe that tonight. And I don't believe God wants you to settle for that this evening. If you will deal with these issues, you know, what's conference for? It's to, to get our, ourselves realigned. There's lots of potholes out there. And it, uh, it does to you and it does to your car. It throws things out of alignment. So, you bring it into the shop, amen, get a little tune-up, get things reoriented, get back on track. And maybe put the car in drive instead of reverse, <laughs> in some cases. <laughs> and God will help you. God wants to give you revival. So we really need faith. We do need to believe that. Look at a couple of things here. Verse 8. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Even in the condition the temple is in, God is challenging them to rebuild it. But the wood is located in the mountains. 
This is a, a reference to the cedars of Lebanon. Lebanon's high country. Lebanon, you go to the, the Israel tour. Lebanon's uh, uh, way up in the mountains. They're skiing up there. It's, uh, we didn't actually go into the nation of Lebanon. It borders uh, northern Israel at one point. Uh, and uh, it's supposed to be beautiful country. There's, there's cedar trees, just like around here. There's uh, lots of wood and trees. And uh, uh, they, they, these are mentioned over and over again, kind of a, a, a landmark. The cedars of Lebanon. Now, uh, ask yourself the question, why did God put all those wonderful trees up in the mountains where they're hard to get at? You know, why didn't He put them all kind of right next to the mill? In the flatlands. Where it'd be really easy to just uh, uh, go in there and uh, and cut them down and uh, just uh, saw them up or uh, you know do whatever you're going to do with the with the trees. No, uh, God put trees in mountains because God builds in to the whole purpose of building the temple the need for sacrifice, the need for effort. Go, you got to go and get those trees. It's a project. There's a labor involved in that. And God is calling us to once again go and bring the wood and begin to build the temple. And if we'll do that, Haggai also in chapter 2 contains a tremendous promise of God's renewed presence and blessing. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. Consider now... From this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. God marks it. From the day you begin to rebuild. From the day you repent. The day, this week, tonight, yesterday, whatever. You begin to put into practice. Now, you've got to take these decisions, of course, and go back home and put them into action. The day you begin to really move on these things, lay the foundation of the new temple, amen, everything changes. Everything changes. From the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it, verse 19, is the seed still in the barn, As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit, but from this day I will bless you. So God promises a new work, the new wine of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about the wineskins and the the sad reality of those old wineskins that are not going to be able uh, to to, uh, contain uh, what God's going to do and they're just going to be tossed aside and they're going to miss the whole thing. But He went on to say there is new wine coming. And that new wine simply has to find a new wineskin to be contained in. And you've heard it before, I'm sure. It is not necessarily uh, speaking there of only a brand new uh, wineskin, but uh, that uh, there is a, a, a truth there that uh, the wineskins can be renewed, that through proper conditioning and so on, they can actually be restored to a place of usefulness. And this is the whole point about revival and renewal and restoration, which is what God is largely doing in our lives. He's saving sinners, and they need redemption, but you and I are the ones that need revival. The saints, amen. The church is the one that needs the restoration work 
of the new wine. And God wants to enable each and every one of us to be renewed and restored and refreshed and uh, enable us to hold the outpouring of the new thing that He desperately wants to do. We read the parable, the uh, barren tree, the fig tree, and the man comes, the uh, vine dresser, the man that works the, the uh, orchard, comes for three years. And he's working and he's tending that and he's trying. And Jesus says, the owner comes finally and, and says, that's it, I've had it with this thing, it's, it's done, but... That dresser, that vine dresser, amen, has a real burden to bring that thing back. And he says, no, I'll give it another year. And that's the heart of God. God's not writing you off. God's not uh, crossing us off His list. Amen. He wants to bring about a new season. Revival, growth, that is his desire and that's the willingness of God to restore fruitfulness. The uh, thought here actually of revival in the midst of the years comes from a scripture just a few, uh, oh, a couple pages earlier, one of the other minor prophets, Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2 says, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Revive your work in the midst of the years. Now, the prophet Habakkuk was at a different time period, at a different situation in Israel's history. It was earlier than uh, where we read in Haggai. And he prophesied during a, a time of the Chaldean invasion of Israel, which was punishment for sin from a prior, actually a couple of prior generations. A king, a wicked king that had uh, blown it, led the people off into idolatry and compromised and so on. And, and as often happens, you know, the judgment uh, doesn't fall upon directly upon that man or upon, even upon that generation, but it comes uh, many, many years later. And so Habakkuk is uh, dealing with that. He's, uh, he's having to deal with the, the consequences of, a, of a, a foreign army coming in and and carrying off people and killing people and, and overthrowing uh, the people of God and turning them into kind of a, a vassal state, uh, servants and slaves in this horrible bondage that they so often put themselves into through their spiritual rebellion, their uh, idolatry and uh, uh, the wickedness of the kings and the people uh, led to the judgment and destruction by the hand of God. And that's simply reality. That's, that's what's happened. And yet, in that situation, the prophet, in this verse, begins to plead for mercy. God, revive your work. Yeah, we, 
we've blown it. We may deserve what we've got here. Well, cause and effect, reaping and sowing, whatever. It's happened. It's real. No sense of worrying about it or trying to figure it out or get out of it. It's just there. And yet, he cries out for the mercy of God. In your wrath, God, remember mercy. Mercy is the intervention of God in the normal process of decline. And if God would intervene in your situation, in your church, begin to reverse that plateau, that even that downward trending of your, your spiritual condition, if God would begin to do a new thing, And He's the same God, but He's the God of the new thing. Amen. You can begin to thrive once again. You can have revival in the midst of the years. We make a huge mistake if we begin to settle for that condition of decline and say, well, I guess that's it. You know, that's that's it. It's, It's all over. We had our chance, and maybe we even... Had a good run there for whatever time, whenever that was, but I guess, I guess it's over. Don't believe that. God specializes in turning things around that look hopeless, and especially when it's His own work. I mean, this is the work of God's hands, which you and I are involved in. And if you maybe recognize some of the signs of decline in your life, in your ministry this evening, through the week here, if you'll get concerned like Muriel did about her expiration date, amen, if you'll begin to see that you're in that place, and begin to deal with that, make the corrections that are needed, again, bring us back to repentance and renewing the spirit of sacrifice and our renewing of the priorities, reordering of those priorities, get things right, God's kingdom first, God's house first. In other words, if we will turn from our self-centeredness into a God-centered life, things can change quickly. You know, if, if the nation of the city of Nineveh can repent and receive the mercy of God, then I think you and I can too. Amen. There's some scriptures that speak to this very issue. One of the best is uh, Psalm 92, verse 10. It says, My horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I've been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish 
in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. I like that verse. The, the literal uh, words, fresh and flourishing, mean fat and green. Amen. The idea in that phrase is just oozing with oil. Like, like when the sap begins to run in the springtime in a tree. And this is, you know, maybe we don't see it much around here, but back where they actually tap into the old sugar maples in Vermont. And, and that sap begins to run in those trees and, and they can harvest that. There's a season when that begins to happen. And, uh, amen, the, the Bible says that even in uh, the, the middle years, even in the old years of our age, we can be fresh and flourishing. That oil can begin to flow once again. When we were over in Israel, we went up to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is a, a little hill, looks directly across at the city, old city of Jerusalem. You can really picture, you know, what Jesus used to do as He would go there at times to pray. He was obviously looking out over the city, crying out for that city. That's where He went on the night He was betrayed uh, and uh, the disciples were there with him, and, and there's, a, there's a small uh, grove of olive trees there. And there's a few of them there that are, they figure, about 2,000 years old. They never get real tall. They just grow wide. The girth on these things was massive. Still bearing olives. Some of those were there when Jesus prayed in that garden. He might have kneeled by one of those very trees to pray. 2,000 years. Probably had some bad seasons. Amen. You know what you do with bad seasons? You just make up your mind to get through them. A couple years ago, I remember reading about uh, some of the cherry orchards up in, uh, I believe, Washington State. And there's, there's people up there, you know, make their living growing cherries. So they're dependent on a lot of factors, one of which is the weather. And so the rains came at the wrong time of year for cherries, and almost all the fruit was rotted in the trees, ruined, the whole, almost the whole crop. That year was lost in that area. And these are, these are long-standing orchards. Trees have been there, you know, 20, 30, 40 years maybe, bearing fruit year after year. So, you know, what's that poor cherry farmer going to do that year? Well, he's got a couple of alternatives. And one of which would be get out the old chainsaw and say, I'm sick of this. And I'll show these cherry trees what's what. And I'll just cut them all down. 
Well, one thing's for sure. You do that, you will not have a cherry harvest next year. So, pastor, step away from the chainsaw. Amen. Just put it down. Turn it off. And realize this too shall pass. And if you'll hang in there and do whatever it is you need to do, Next year could be good. And as a matter of fact, the next year, the cherry harvest was incredible. It, it was far above average because that's the way things work, isn't it? It'll happen for you. God, revive us in the midst of our years. And even in your wrath, even... Even if we deserve all this bad stuff happening to it, and we bring some of it on ourselves, you know, bad decisions, stupid mistakes, whatever. God, even in that, we cry out for mercy. You know, God is a good God. And He really does want to show mercy and goodness and begin to reverse the curse of barrenness. You know, barrenness, again, back in Haggai, is a, it's, it's the consequence of their sin and the things that are not right and the way they need to be. And so it's, it's very real and it's happening, but God wants to turn that around. Amen. You need to believe that tonight. God wants to turn that thing around in your situation. Isaiah fifty-five, thirteen says, Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, that, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Amen. We can believe for revival in the midst of the years.